Hello, and welcome to the Former Review. Today, we'll be looking at the 2021 film, The Suicide Squad. So sit back, relax, grab your drinks, and let's talk about this movie. What's up, y'all, and welcome back to the Former Review. This is Season 4, Episode 12, and I thank you all for tuning in once again. So this episode, we'll be going into the newest DCEU film, The Suicide Squad, specifically in 4DX, and also the thoughts on DCEU as a whole and where the newest film fits in with the rest of it. So stay tuned. One thing I will say before getting into any of this, this movie is not at the top of the DCU for me. And if you listen to the end of this episode, you will hear why I think that. Now, before I go any further, I do want to preface this episode with a slight spoiler warning. As I always do, I do suggest you go watch the film before hearing what I have to say about it so you fully understand anything. Also, I know I talk about this at the end, but the data shows that most people don't listen to that part. So I want to talk about it here and reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite subscription services. I do read those because i do want to grow because these episodes are really for all you listeners out there and i want to keep this entertaining so what do you want to hear do you want to hear games do you want to hear more of the 4k stuff do you want to hear me talk about a certain movie if you want to come on and talk to me about something for you want to debate i'm always open to do stuff like that so you can always reach out to me on social media i always want to grow and improve and just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved so if there's something that you want me to improve on let me know and i will grow as such anyway now on to the movie at hand let's sit back relax grab your drinks let's talk about this movie Suicide Squad is a superhero film based on the DC Comics team Suicide Squad. It is a standalone sequel to 2016 Suicide Squad and is the 10th film in the DC Extended Universe. It was written and directed by James Gunn and stars an ensemble cast including Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney, and Peter Capaldi. In the film, a task of convicts are sent to destroy a Nazi-era laboratory and encounter the giant alien Starro. So a little history with this movie, originally David Ayer was set to return as director for the Suicide Squad sequel, which was going to again star Will Smith. Ayer also said that the first one was rated PG-13 because it had originally been envisioned that way by the studio. However, he wanted an R rating for the sequel, but then chose at the time to develop a Gotham City Sirens film instead. Now, Warner Brothers considered several replacement directors before originally hiring Gavin O'Connor in September of 2017, but then he left in October of 2018 and then Gunn was hired to write and direct the film after temporarily being fired by Disney and Marvel as a director of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 set to be released in 2023. Now Gunn drew a lot of inspiration from war films and also Suicide Squad comics from the 1980s and also decided to explore some new characters in a story that's very very separate from the first film's narratives. Though 
there is some returning of cast members from that first film. Now, they started filming back in September of 2019 and they concluded in February of 2020. Now, firstly, let's talk about the controversial aspects of this film. So in May of 2020, Zack Snyder's Justice League was announced due to the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement campaign. And then fans started to do a new campaign called the hashtag release the air cut, which air also supported. He even requested assistance in bringing his own vision onto HBO Max, where obviously Snyder's cut was released earlier this year in 2021. Now in July of last year, Ayer stated how his vision for the film was changed because of Deadpool's success and also the negative criticism that was received by Snyder's Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice. He stated that Warner Brothers changed his quote soulful drama into a beaten comedy end quote and then confirmed the director's cut for Suicide Squad quote definitely exists end quote. Additionally Affleck's stunt double Richard Citroni said that the film would have included quote more Batman end quote and many Suicide Squad cast and cast members other directors of DCU films or even actors including those from this film have voiced for their support for the release of this director's cut. It's in a company's best interest to listen to their audience and if it's something that's so in demand and they got it why not? However in March of 2021 and Sarnoff who is the current chairman and CEO of Warner Brothers stated that the company has no intentions to release Ayer's cut of the film. Ayer then replied in an article that it was because his film quote just scared the out of the executives, end quote. To this day, there is still obviously a very big demand for his cut, with it trending on Twitter with 80,000 tweets on March 22nd of 2021, and then again on April 16th, which then reached over 100,000 tweets. And over the last month, Ayer once again criticized the theatrical cuts of Suicide Squad on his Twitter account before praising Gunn's standalone sequel, adamantly saying that, quote, the studio cut was not his his movie, end quote. Now, there have been a lot of cases of review bombing this new film before it even came out, or people rejecting to see the film because it's thought to already be a joke because of Warner Brothers involvement. So for those who don't know, review bombing is a practice by which many groups of fans get together to flood a project with negative reviews in hopes of tarnishing its reputation and worsening its box office performance. Social media has kind of noticed this happening to the Suicide Squad, which suggested it may be the work of either the Snack Snyder DC Films fans or also Ayer's original Suicide Squad fans. Now, at the time of this analysis on Rotten Tomatoes, the Suicide Squad has a 92% based on 254 critics reviews and 80% on 5,000 plus all audience reviews. And on Metacritic, it has a 74 out of 100 rating based on 49 critic reviews and a 7.2 based on 312 user reviews. So first, let me say this about Rotten Tomatoes. I find their algorithm somewhat flawed as the percentage that they gloat means very little. A fresh score is really one that is above 60%, which only means that potentially only six out of 10 people have to tolerate it to recommend it to people. It doesn't really say whether the movie is good or bad. Someone could really recommend a fresh movie even if they rate it as a two out 
of five score. Now, this is why I take Rotten Tomatoes with a grain of salt, because there are plenty of bad movies that have high percentages and vice versa. When you actually look at what Rotten Tomatoes states here, based on all critic reviews, it has a 7.6 out of 10 rating and all audience reviews has a 4.1 out of 5. So when you average those two out, they're exactly the same. So the numbers that Rotten Tomatoes is trying to show here is really off. And because when you have people criticizing films or even liking films so much, then they use Rotten Tomatoes either to promote the hate of the movie or promote their liking of the movie. Either way, the rating of the film based on critics and users is pretty much the same with this movie. Now, my second issue with this whole thing is the Snyderverse fan base. Now, let me preface this before anyone gets mad. I have no problem problem with directors getting the cuts of their films released. In fact, I really think that they should. And frankly, I don't mind David Ayer at times and I don't mind Snyder at times. I don't think that they're bad people. I don't think that they're bad directors. I think that they have issues and I think that they have their own specific problems with some of their film. Now, I think that some of the quote unquote activism for their films is really bad. At a certain point, these are simply films and some of the people that regard themselves as fans have blindly hated a film before even seeing it. And I don't understand how you can do that. Even if you're such a fan of one rendition of a character or story, you're gonna blindly hate a somebody's other's iteration of a story. That's like when it comes to the Superman character, I personally believe that Superman 1 and 2 are the best Superman films out there and Christopher Reeve is the best representation of the Superman ever made. Now, is that going to stop me from watching Man of Steel? No. So how can you say that the Suicide Squad is bad even before seeing it? Saying that it is bad before even seeing it is completely idiotic. How do you know that it's bad? Yes, this film could be terrible, but what's your evidence? Is it because it isn't air? Okay, well, the film was still made without him. Yes, like Snyder, he was screwed. But Gunn's film is a different film. Simply because the director or even the writer or whatever isn't what you want doesn't mean that the film is bad. You can hate Gunn all you want. You can hate Warner Brothers all you want. But to say that the film is bad, even without seeing it? Oh, for God's sake. What the? You have to see the logical nature of this. If you don't, then why are you even listening to my thoughts? You're obviously going to hate the film no matter what. I say go in with an open mind and maybe it could be good. It has a chance to be bad just as much as it has a chance to be good. Give it a chance and don't hate something so illogically. Stop criticizing something that you haven't seen seen yet. It's utterly upsetting when someone just wants to point out flaws of a movie but that hasn't seen it. You can provide evidence of reasons for why you don't want to see it and show how there are problems with the overall Warner Brothers involvement with the DCU. You can say all that you want but you cannot say anything about how a film is unless you've seen it. There's no way that you can say that. You can base your opinion on other people's, fine. But that's not your opinion of the film. That's somebody else's that you are copying. And again, by singling somebody out and comparing them to Snyder and his involvement with the DCEU is honestly ridiculous. Yes, he had a lot of involvement with the first set of films. But here's the thing. He's only directly been involved 
with three of the movies. Otherwise, he's either been writing, like on Wonder Woman, and but otherwise he's just a producer. Which, again, he was a producer on this movie. If you enjoy Snyder's writing, the only films that you can say are his version of Justice League and the first Wonder Woman film. And everything else, it's been his direction. So it's been Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, Die Justice, and his version of Justice League. But to include, frankly, Aquaman as part of the DCEU or and then the other films as not. Yeah, Jason Momoa originally came out in Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice, but so did Wonder Woman. So how could you hate Wonder Woman 84 then? Oh, and Harley Quinn is Margot Robbie in this one. So how do you hate that? You see how this is illogical and how it doesn't make any logical sense to criticize these other films just because of they don't have what you want in a movie. Okay, you cannot enjoy something. I'm not saying that. Hate a film all you want. But if frankly, the only reason for to dislike a film is that it doesn't have what you want in it, it can still be a good movie nonetheless. Just because it doesn't have what you want in it doesn't make it a bad movie. It's really just honestly ridiculous to frankly hate on a movie prior to seeing it just because it doesn't have what you like or you want. Again, yes, these people were screwed over. I'm not trying to say that they weren't. If you don't see the movie, you can't criticize it. That's it. Just like if you don't vote, you can't complain. Go watch it, then I'll start listening to what you have to say about it. There's plenty of times in history where bad movies make a crap ton of money, but good movies don't. Yes, I'm going to say this now that the latter two films in the DCU movies are arguably box office failures, but you do add in the fact that, again, pandemic, you know, that also that does affect it. But even so, you then add in obviously streaming. If somebody already has HBO Max, why would they go to the theater for it? There's a lot of asterisks to this situation. So to compare this aspect, it's not an apples to apples comparison. It's a more like a apples to crab apples type of comparison if you get what I'm saying. So it, it doesn't really make sense really to compare these films and how they release and say it's based on the Warner Brothers executive office and say that they're the reasons why this film industry is failing because frankly it's really not. There's a lot of other external factors that you have to take into account and if you do remove them yeah you're 100% right that these films aren't doing better. Having said that you gotta add in that factor and okay if you really just want to look at for example Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey was marketed absolutely terribly. They didn't know what to do and I will say that's on them for not making more money. Having said that, that was also released right at the beginning of the pandemic and that does affect it. I mean, it, it doesn't affect it, I don't think, as much. I mean, arguably, I mean, again, taking into account here, Birds of Prey basically doubled their budget. So it's arguably not a failure. Again, this doesn't take into marketing and costs and all that. But again, frankly, it's not a bad movie. And again, there's a lot that takes into it. And again, marketing wasn't bad. So arguably here, if you just look at these numbers right let's look arguably here at the overall percentage increases here with a budget of about 225 million man of steel got a box office of 668 million that's about a 197 percent increase again and these percentages are not taking into account marketing and everything then batman vs superman got a 250 percent increase Wonder Woman got 327, Suicide Squad got 327% increase, 
Wonder Woman got 452% increase. Justice League got a 119% increase, which is the lowest positive number on this list. Aquaman got a 474% increase. Shazam got a 265% increase. And Birds of Prey got a 124% increase. The only two films that have a negative percentage are Wonder Woman 1984 and The Suicide Squad. With, at the time of this recording, they have a negative 17% and a negative 82% respectively loss. Now, that's really only two films out of the entire franchise. They also had a release of it on HBO Max. This affects the box office. And take that out of account, again, does not give you accurate numbers. Because you even look at The Suicide Squad, the first one. That got a, again, 327% increase. I cannot believe that this movie would have gotten close to that. It 100% would have gotten at least in the positives here. Because no matter even how much you hate on Birds of Prey, even if you hate that movie, here's another thought, you know? Wonder Woman 1984 had a budget of 200 million and got a box office of 167 million. That's only a negative 17%. You gotta be honest here when it comes to these things that these movies aren't gonna make as much. And Warner Brothers is taking a loss here. So that's how it is. And that's again, not taking any uptakes in HBO Max numbers. So comparing the numbers of the films, you can't do that right now because it's not the same situation. You can't talk down about a movie using the numbers that it made. Because again, here's a thought. Bad movies can make a lot of money, and good ones can't. Whoa, surprise. <laughs> and I know Wonder Woman 80, arguably, even if you hate that movie, even if you think that it's a poorly made movie, it's still almost got back its budget. Yeah, arguably that is a failure when it comes to financials here, but if that movie was released in theaters and not released at all on streaming, that movie would have made a lot of money and there would have been just as much hate on it. And frankly, it would support my point that I don't think it is, but if you think that movie is poor, you'd be saying the exact same thing that I'm saying right now. And then you add in movie piracy, which obviously can occur with streaming services. So using money to denominate a movie's actual success of a movie isn't the right way to go. Especially when you have to add in asterisks at the pandemic. If we all saw these movies in theaters and there was no pandemic and everything was good to go, yes, we can compare the numbers 100%, but the situations aren't the same. The way that studios have to get money is not the same. So thus, there's too many cofactors comparing these two numbers that they can't be compared in an accurate way. You can compare them, you just won't be accurate and it doesn't matter at that point. You're not accurate, so you're not nailing it. So maybe get your numbers correct and maybe look at the actual comparison. Maybe do a statistical analysis. Maybe think about it for a little bit and not add in your blind hate and look at the facts of actual numbers. I'm done with that rant. Now I'm gonna get back to the filming analysis. 
So this film, as I've talked about already, this film is not exactly a sequel to 2016 Suicide Squad. It's more another stab with the same attributes, with obviously some of the same characters. You obviously have Margot Robbie returning and newcomer Idris Elba, and both of them honestly are brilliant in this movie. I think this film does balance the idea of humor with edginess in a blockbuster that has a lot of really great visual wonders and really great set pieces. So honestly, when it comes to the first film, I think that there are a lot of problems and it is very generic. There aren't a lot of good character development. There is a lot of rush stuff. Obviously that's due to what Warner Brothers wanted to push and the recuts and everything. I think it has a lot of problems. And again, I do think that Ayer should release his version of the movies. A director's cut is always the director's version of a movie that should be shown because that is their true vision of the movie. And moving on. So in this film, the ragtag team of prisoners have to take out this tower called Jodenheim, which is this former Nazi lab on an island off of South America, which is believed to be conducting these horrible experiences. The reluctant leader is Bloodsport, played by Elba, who must work with these others, such as the bloodthirsty peacemaker, played by Cena, and then also Harley Quinn, played by Ravi. They capture evil scientist called Thinker, played by Capaldi, who reveals that the lab has been housing this interstellar creature, Starro, which could ultimately destroy humanity. Now, the setting of this movie is essentially modern day, and the events of it occur after Birds of Prey. Now, it also takes place after the Justice League movie where Superman's resurrection happens. Now, honestly, to everyone who is mad at this line, Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. Calm yourself. This is comic book accurate. Even if it wasn't comic book accurate, is it really that far-fetched to think that this could have happened? Now, the jokes at this are really stupid, showing that Justice League Superman. Now, in the film Batman vs. Superman Dawn Justice, Batman makes a spear of kryptonite. Do you really think that a bullet is that outrageous? Anyway, Gunn's film has a lot of confidence and really gives a lot of stronger action scenes and honestly, more carnage. It's extremely gorier and explosive heavy than Gunn's Disney films as he obviously no longer has to appeal to family audiences. And it allows some of its tough talking characters to end up being noble, endearing, and even at times touching. Again, Elba is fantastic with his kind of grizzled mercenary who learns to take care of others. Everything from his costume, his helmet, and his weapons looked amazing. The best scene in the movie was perhaps the one with the least amount of action. It's when he pulls a pen to Amanda Waller's neck. What's in my door? We're protecting this country. Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measure. Extreme? Oh yeah, a little extreme. And the stare down between Davis and Elba really shows how both people and both characters are tough. And frankly, because both actors are so good in their respective roles, this scene is amazing to see. Like I had goosebumps in this moment. And additionally, the production on this film brings a lot of energy and also ingenuity that a lot of blockbusters don't have. The cinematography really makes this film a must see in 
theaters, while the score does give some on-screen intensity. Now, similarly to one of the issues that I had with the first Suicide Squad, the music doesn't always work aside from setting the scene instead of being kind of tied in with the plot, similar to what he did in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. But for example, there is a showdown between Harley and a pack of soldiers that is really, really good. This is also one of Robbie's best portrayals of Harley. While Birds of Prey concentrated more on the character's fractured psyche, and the film did touch on this as well, but this film really jumps into her menacing attributes. She is absolutely bonkers in this movie. However, she has almost no point in the movie, but more on that later. Ratcatcher 2's story is perhaps the best one, and the line that Waititi gives as her father about rats could make one see rats in a different manner. Though that's probably not gonna happen. Cena as Peacemaker is fun, but he's precisely what one would expect from John Cena, aside from the fact that you can actually see him. Die for that. <laughs> anyway, in regard to the 40X, the film has certain scenes and especially the opening sequence that give so much to the movement with your seat. Now, for those who don't know, 40X is a type of cinema that gives viewing more than a visual and audible treat. It adds in various practical effects, including motion seats, wind, strobe lights, snow, and scents, and gives moviegoers this multi-central cinema-going experience, allowing audiences to connect through the motion and the vibration through all these practical effects that really enhance the visuals on screens and each auditorium incorporates this with many different aspects and as of this recording there's about 773 40x auditoriums across the world in 67 different countries it's really crazy that you really do feel like you're in the movie and without spoiling too much the setting and the environment and certain character abilities specifically ratcatcher 2 really make the 40x so much fun now this isn't the best 40x that i've ever seen in fact, some of the movements do get old after a while. The film's biggest flaw, though, is its commentary, which honestly is in no way subtle. Gunn is really taking a stab here at a commentary on American military adventurism and really how American governments have had a hand in a lot of developing countries so that they can do things that are problematic here in the States. And it really does knock you over the head with this message. Additionally, similarly to other superhero movies, the film can feel long and repetitious after a while, and the ending is fairly typical with the villains crashing into a lot of crumbling buildings again. Now, without spoiling too much, there's some parts of the final scene that are pretty great, but they're still fairly similar to other superhero films that have a building falling down at the end. Story-wise, the film only takes away the mystical aspect of Ayer's story, and frankly, it's pretty much the same plot. Waller puts explosives in criminals' heads and orders them to do something to protect her or the US's ass, and she doesn't tell them everything and then they have to take down a big bat. The question here is which antagonist is the one that they're really against? Is it Starro? Is it the Koromati's military leaders? Is it the US government? Is it all three? And honestly, all are possible and somehow not possible at the same time. There's no real indication here. And another issue with this film is the characters themselves. If you're really worried about the other characters and how weird they are and how the Suicide Squad is a joke, maybe 
maybe open your eyes and watch the movie before judging it. But I will say that you shouldn't really have to worry here. However, the film does struggle with balancing all of these new characters' backstories. Yes, some of them are done well, but then there's four others that are only very minimal. It's almost like one gets six short stories about six characters instead of two full stories that we got in the other film. Frankly, the development of Will Smith's Deadshot and even Harley's story was more developed than Elba and Harley in this movie. Now, that's not to say that the overall first film was better than this. However, the few core character stories that were stronger and made the film honestly easier to follow through the atrocity of that film's finale. Now, when it comes to the characters I didn't really like, Harley Quinn's character just honestly didn't really do much in the movie, which is weird because she's been kind of marketed as the character that this movie is supposed to be more about, which at the same time, you have to understand that it's not just about her, but where she goes in the plot is just odd. The whole thing that happens with the president of the country is just stupid. It does absolutely nothing aside from make the new president the military guy. That doesn't add anything to the story and it's upsetting when it comes to just a Harley Quinn character because Margot Robbie portrays her extremely well and arguably this is Margot Robbie's best performance as a specific character and it's just sad that like she is this side character in this movie and doesn't really do much and similarly with King Shark he's kind of just in existence and feels that you could have taken some of these characters out of it and King Shark feels to be there only there for laughs and then the gruesome parts there's not really much to his story aside from maybe one line and this goes back into the idea of when you have so many different characters trying to give them all fluid backstories doesn't really work I mean yes with Harley Quinn you, you don't have to because we've already gone into that in the other movies but with this movie there's little to none of any of these characters aside from one line here or there explaining who they are and then that's it so I mean this is a decent action movie and it can be fun for people but as a character story and as DC is normally known for its stories of its characters this was a saddening part about this I liked the concept of a few of them Polka Dot Man was actually really good. Bloodsport had a good backstory and so did Ratcatcher too, but the rest of them minimally, and they touched on some of them, like Rick Flagg's character, but it's so slight that I don't feel attached to any of these people, and it's more of when are these people going to die and why should I care when they do? I mean, that's all it is, and unfortunately that is really poor writing when it comes to the film as a whole. Now, however one looks at this movie, it's mostly a movie about style, specifically the anarch conventions of 1970s grindhouse films, more so than superhero films. Now this isn't a movie for children, and frankly the film cynicism and violence can be exhausting at times. Now. When it comes to a movie about rambunctious, odd characters, it's really hard to honestly want to follow these characters because they're villains at the end of the day. So focusing on the style and the bombacity of a movie was a decent decision. However, that hardly makes it a strong film from a story perspective. It just makes it fine. And this film honestly is so violent and so cynic about things that I wonder where comic book films will go from here. This film is the epitome of bombastic cinematic experience and there's honestly
there's seemingly no way that I would say it could get more violent. I could be wrong though. Overall, this film knocks the direction and some of its characters out of the park, but its attempt at a theme is overpowering that its impact isn't as strong as it could have been. And this could be due to that bombastic nature of the film. However, the film does struggle with its ending that doesn't separate from many other films, and it struggles a little bit with its characters and its writing. However, having said that, there are a ton of good things about this film, but it is middle of the ground when it comes to DCU as a whole, and honestly, comic book films in general. For me, when it comes to the DCU, personally, it's number seven. So my ranking is now at the bottom, Justice League, the first Suicide Squad movie, Man of Steel, Zack Snyder's Justice League, The Suicide Squad, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984, Shazam, and then number one is still Wonder Woman. Now, now again, see it before you judge it, but what did you think of this movie? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. The formal review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram, and also YouTube. The handle's all the same. It's at the formal review. And for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis, I thank you very much for supporting me in that way. For anyone who wants to support, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash the minus sign formal minus sign review and click support this podcast and any donation is appreciated. Thank you all again for tuning in. And until next time, watch your hands, get vaccinated, or if not, wear a mask. And I'll see you at the movies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Formal Review. Cheers, and we'll see you next time.